Hello and welcome to Creator Talks. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. On this episode, I'm going to recap the 2017 Baltimore Comic Con. These are my own personal experiences at the con, who I met, what I picked up, the panels that I attended, and my own panel that I moderated, Women Creators on the Evolving Comic Book Industry. And it wouldn't be Creator Talks if I weren't talking to creators on the episode. So I'll be speaking with Mark Wade on the show about his return to Captain America, his work on Avengers, and I'll also speak with Justin Jordan and Nikki Ryan, the authors of the upcoming book, The Family Trade, coming out in October through Image Comics. Now, if you're returning to this show, welcome back. And if this is your first time, well, this is not a typical episode. Generally, I don't have this much of a monologue on the show, just the introduction, and then right to the interview. But in this case, since I'm recapping the Comic-Con, think of this as a travelogue that I'm sharing with you, and also uh, giving you some insight to what goes on at the Comic-Con and who is there, and why you should consider going to the Baltimore Comic-Con if you didn't go this year, uh, because it is one of the best cons on the East Coast especially if you want to meet writers, artists, letterers, colorists, editors, all connected in some way to the comic book industry. Or if you're interested in going to a convention and setting up a table for yourself and promoting your work. The Baltimore Comic Con has a great artist alley. And after all, it's in Baltimore, so it is a great location for cons. A lot to do around the area as well. But for me, I was indoors most of those three days. So let's hear about it here now on Creator Talks. All right, well, let's get started with my recap of the Baltimore Comic-Con. It's Wednesday after the con as I record this, and I can say one thing I did not get at the con was the con crud. I followed my own advice and those of fellow artists and writers I've met and took my supplements, took my vitamin C, remained hydrated, washed my hands a lot, carried Purell, etc., etc., and that seemed to do the trick. Plus, I got plenty of rest. I was not out late. I did have a good time. But I was not out late partying. I made sure I had plenty of rest so I had the energy to get up the next day and get right back to it. And so I drove down to the con uh, Friday morning and uh, got there before they opened up. And it was packed. I mean, the line of VIPs getting ready to get in there was bigger than last year for sure. And uh, I checked in and I went in behind the VIPs all lined up. We started to crowd in there. And it was packed down in the lobby, the downstairs lobby outside the con floor. So I don't know what the count was. I'm looking forward to seeing the numbers. Hopefully, they'll publish the numbers, but attendance looked to be up on Friday, which was great for Baltimore. Unfortunately, some guests did cancel. Uh, Bob Fujitani, he worked on Dr. Solar back in the 60s, Hangman in the 40s, and he also worked on Turok, Son of Stone. I really wanted to meet him. Uh, I didn't know he was still around, and he's in his 90s. So I guess maybe perhaps for health reasons or other considerations, he just wasn't able to make it. And they even had a, a panel dedicated to him. So I was disappointed, but I hope Bob is doing well. Also, a few others who weren't able to make it this year who were scheduled that I was looking forward to meeting. Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, uh, I've met him before. I was looking forward to meeting him again. Uh, Denny O'Neill did not make it this year either, and he was scheduled. And Aletha Martinez did not make it, and she was supposed to be on a Black Panther panel and also on the Women Creators panel that I was moderating. So I had to make a change out there, and I had a a wonderful replacement guest who was able to be on the panel and provide her insight, Mina Elwell, who is doing work uh, through Scout Comics in Fernacht, 
And uh, she will be on that panel that I'll have out next episode on Monday. You will hear the women creators on the evolving comic book industry panel in its entirety. The only thing I've cut out are just some coughs close to the microphone. But otherwise, you will hear the full hour of the panel and questions and comments. So... Friday. I'm on the con floor. I didn't bother checking into my hotel yet because it was very busy at the hotel, of course, first thing Friday. So I parked my car there at the Days Inn uh, and I went right to the con, registered and got downstairs. And the first thing I hit were the $5 bins. If you've gone to the Baltimore Comic Con before, there is a comic book vendor there that has boxes and boxes of $5 comics and $2 comics, very clearly marked. And I went crazy and picked up a bunch of Commandy. Now, as you may be aware, DC Comics is publishing a Commandy Challenge, which is a tribute to Jack Kirby, and that is being written and drawn on each issue by different high-profile writers and artists. Now, I was a fan of Jack Kirby, still am, and I enjoyed his work during the Marvel Age of Comics and in the 70s when he returned to Marvel, when he worked on Captain America, and he worked on 2001 A Space Odyssey, Black Panther, Machine Man, The Eternals. So I never really focused or read his DC work as a kid. And I bought an issue last year of Commandy, and I really liked it. I really liked Jack's writing and, of course, his art. But that goes without saying. So I was really hungry to buy more, especially with the heightened awareness of the 100th anniversary of his birthday this year. So I hit that $5 bin and found several, like five or six, really decent, I mean, nice copies of Commandy, probably like very fine condition. Now, I buy my comics to read. I don't, I mean, I would like to have them in very nice shape because I just find more pleasure in reading books in nice shape, but they don't have to be, depending upon the age and cost of the book in nice condition. You know, I'm willing to go for a lower grade just to enjoy that comic, but I do like reading comics the original copies versus trades where coloring may be changed, the ads aren't in there, the letter pages aren't in there. Those old comic books to me are a time capsule of our culture and of the creator at that moment and of what fan reaction was at that moment, at that time, through the letter pages. So I do like to buy the back issues. And so I hit those bins. Those were great getting those commandy books. Next, I went over to see Ramona Fraden. Now, Ramona is 90 years old, and she's going to be 91 on October 1st. She is the co-creator of Metamorpho, worked on Plastic Man in the 70s, and of course, she also drew, I believe, uh, Aquaman. And one of her favorite characters of all is Metamorpho, one she co-created. And I bought a piece of art there. I saw it, and I could not believe it was for sale, number one. And number two, it was very reasonable. It was all in pencil. It's a uh, plastic man, metamorpho, and a lady in a museum. And there's pieces of modern art and a uh, Picasso-like piece of art on the side. And it moves your eye from left to right across the page. And it's amazing. And I put it on my Twitter page and my Facebook page uh, for Creator Talks. So look that up. It's a really nice piece. That is getting framed and being put on my wall. I am very lucky and very happy to have it. It's just such an interesting, fun piece. 
Well, next I went around and said hello to a lot of the guests, many as I could. I saw a lot of people there, uh, just to name a few, and I didn't see them all in one day. These were over the course of all three days. You know, Carrie Andrews, Amy Chu, Todd DeZago, Meredith Finch, of course, who was on my panel. Dean Haspiel, one of the first people I saw. Always great to see Dean. I had a chance to meet the great Phil Hester. He is working on a comic book with Steve Rude for DC Comics, Birdman. So that I want to pick up, and hopefully we'll have Phil on the show to talk about it. I also saw Justin Jordan, Nikki Ryan, and of course, they are on this show. I did interview them about the family trade. I also saw Greg Pack, one of my first interviews, and hopefully very soon we'll have him on the show. I saw Tom Palmer, the amazing artist and anchor, as you know, worked on the X-Men back in the 60s with Neil Adam on pencils. Roy Thomas writing. He also worked on Tomb of Dracula, written by Marv Wolfman, who was also at the show, and uh, was penciled by the great Gene Colan. I also had a chance to say hi to Louise and Walter Simonson, John K. Snyder III, who's been on the show, Tim Truman, who was seated right next to John K. Snyder III, David and Sarah Trustman, and they were on a panel that was moderated by Dean Haspiel, and I'm going to talk about that coming up. That was on Friday, and uh, it was a very interesting panel. I'll get back to that. Um, also saw Mark Wade, who is interviewed on this show, and Tom Zaylor, I also saw, who is the writer and artist on Time and Vine through IDW, one of my favorite books right now. If you have not read this book, I urge you to check it out. Tom also designed the yearbook. Uh, and he does that every year, and it's amazing, and I didn't know he did that, so Tom's a great guy, met him there as well. Of course, I saw Don Griffin, who was uh, on the panel, along with Erica Schultz, who came to the show on Saturday just for the Women Creators panel that I moderated, and I also saw a lot of other fellow podcasters, which was a lot of fun. I always love it when I run into other podcasters. Of course, Pants was there, Brian Crispin from comic geek speak and i also met up with darren and ruth the hosts of xenozoic xenophiles trekker talk and Warlord worlds which in order focus on the work of mark schultz and ron randall and mike grell i was really happy to catch up with them because i did not have a chance to meet with them and speak with them at heroes con in charlotte we were like two ships passing in the night running around meeting people and i met two other podcasters tom panarese and Gene Hendricks. So it was a pleasure to meet them as well. Uh, you probably saw our faces tweeted out. There's a group shot of us on the Twitter. So there's my list of who's who. Uh, a lot of people I saw in a short period of time. Couldn't see everybody I wanted to, but I saw most of the people I needed to get to and uh, talk with. And how did I find them so quickly and so easily? Well, I took my list of guests and the floor plan, since I've done this for five years now in a row, I'm kind of becoming a veteran at this. So I blow them up. 11 by 17, so I can see them without glasses and make it easier to find people and mark where they are. Um, so if you haven't done that before, when the program comes out as a PDF on the website, get yourself a copy, blow it up so you can easily map out your day and make the best use of your time. Because as you can see, I had a chance to talk to a lot of people and buy comics and go to a few panels, which is a very full weekend. Now, when things settled down, and my backpack became heavy with comic books, I went back to the hotel, checked in, dumped off my books, unpacked my car, and then I went back to the con. Uh, and while I was there, Linda Carter, 
Wonder Woman appeared at the glass booth above the floor over the loudspeaker saying hello to everyone who was thrilled to see her there. And uh, she had a show that night. She had a performance that evening and she was singing. I did not go to it as I put all my effort into the con itself. But uh, she was a guest and it was nice to hear her voice over the speaker saying hello to all the fans. Um, I went to two panels on Friday. The first was towards the middle of the day 315, The Power of Magic and the Magic of Memory. Now, this was a fascinating panel discussion. First, I mean, you did have Dean Haspiel there, the writer, creator, artist of The Red Hook, Chris Miskowitz, who worked on the series Thomas Alsop, and Sarah and David Trustman, who talked about the memory arts. Now, David Trustman and Dean Haspiel worked on the webcomic Godslap, the Psalms of Science, and that has been collected into a softcover trade. So I picked up a copy of that and asked them both to sign it after the panel. However, while at the panel, both David and Sarah Trustman talked about the memory arts, and Sarah performed a demonstration where there was a board of numbers 1 through 30, and attendees would yell out various household objects, one at a time, number one, oh, scissors, number two, a hat, and they made a list of all these objects associated with each of the numbers. And then randomly, people would call out a number to Sarah, and she would recall what object was attached to that number. It was amazing. And this is all contained within their book. And I'm just getting my copy here. The Memory Arts Fundamentals. So there's two volumes, book A and book B. And they said in about two hours, you can absorb this information, and then you'll be able to memorize large lists by using a memory path and associating objects to numbers along that path. And the trick is to come up with some of the most bizarre situations and bizarre images to remember these things. It, like I said, it was a fascinating panel, and they will be on the show in November to talk about these books. So I'm really looking forward to that, and I am so glad that I went to that panel. Basically, it was to see Dean, but the topic was fantastic, and I'm so glad I went. So both David and Sarah are booked for the show. So knock on wood that all goes through. It'll be in November. Now, food on Friday. Well, I didn't eat at the con. I just packed some bars of banana and coconut water, and that was enough for me. Uh, just as long as I stayed hydrated, uh, I was fine. Now, that evening after the con, I went across the street, and it's right next to the hotel, the Pratt Street Alehouse, and I enjoy going there. It's just an alehouse. They have tables for seating. You can eat there, and there's a nice bar. And so I got myself a burger, a turkey burger, and I got myself a pint of beer. And I got one of my favorites, Iron Man Pale Ale. It is a really nice English pale ale, 6.2% alcohol. I wrote that down. So I had a couple of those. And while I was there, I was talking to a young man who went to the con. And I believe it was his first time, and his name was Blake. And he is opening up a comic shop in October called Tornado Alley. Come in and geek out. And this is in uh, Virginia. It says here on his card, 310 Mill Street, Suite E, Okaquan, Virginia. Now, is he a sponsor? No. Why do I bring this up? Well, we sat there for about an hour talking about the con, about comics, about this podcast, a whole bunch of things. So we had a really good time. And, uh, you know, he wanted to see Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, as did I. And he had a few copies of Batman 66, the Two-Face uh, issue that was written, the one-shot. So I never got that. Jose wasn't there. And so he, this guy, Blake, gave me a copy of the comic. 
He said, I want you to have this. So again, Blake, I really appreciate it. I'm going to really enjoy that. It's in my pile of books here. And uh, it was just a lot of fun. And so that was Friday. I went back to my room, put something on TV, something on the History Channel about pyramids and how they were built by aliens and how aliens went on Earth. It was really bizarre. And I worked on my PowerPoint, made a few changes on the guest list, and then turned in. The next morning, woke up, headed down to the hotel uh, breakfast area, and had myself a wonderful large egg and cheese omelet. And also saw a couple of guys there I had seen at Baltimore Comic Con before and had interviewed Kurt Bruegel who works on uh, Crom and other books and teaches art classes, and also Will Baczynski. And he was doing a, a kind of a video diary of Baltimore Comic Con. So uh, at some point, we'll probably see that on uh, YouTube. Uh, so, uh, Will, look forward to seeing your diary uh, through video of Baltimore Comic Con. And so we chatted for a bit, and I also saw them on the floor throughout the con, said, hey, what's going on? You know, how are you holding up and all? And Kurt was there with Carlos Torres. And uh, also in Artist Alley, I stopped by someone who I interviewed before that's on one of the episodes on this series, back uh, the best of episodes I did, Rachel Persephone. And uh, I stopped by to see her. She had her art there for sale. She had several prints, and she's trying to make her own mark, too, as an artist. And it was really great to hear that the first time I saw her was at New Jersey Comic Expo. And that was like one of her first times out. It was great to hear that at this con, Baltimore Comic Con, after some time had gone by, she had almost completely filled up her commission list and had to really get cracking on making sure she got all these commissions done. So she was just overwhelmed with a great turnout and response by fans and people wanting commissions at the show. So that's a great success story. She's definitely on her way, and I wish her continued success. Okay, so I bought more comics. I found a Commandy number one. Very nice copy. Uh, I also saw, and I just wanted to know, just for giggles, a copy of Young Men number 24. Now, this is a book from the 1950s. This was the return of Captain America and the Human Torch and Submariner in one issue one. Marvel tried to, or I should say Atlas at the time, tried to revive these World War II heroes. And it didn't last very long, but this was the return, the issue where they returned. I said, how much is that? I just want to know. Eight fifty, And the price was right on the money. $850 for that book in its condition. Unfortunately, I just couldn't swing that and expect a lib to tell about it once the missus found out. So I had to pass that by, unfortunately. Someday, someday, it's on the bucket list. I will acquire a copy. Oh, let me back up and just say, on Friday, I almost forgot to mention, I did go to one other panel, Shared Universes, and they had creators on the panel talking about working within a shared universe. And this panel included Mark Buckingham, Terry Moore, Peter J. Tomasi, and Meredith Finch. Now, fast forward back to Saturday. Mark Wade had agreed to an interview. Very gracious of him. He said, just see me after my panel. I have one on Saturday. Story structure. And so I went to that. And I'm glad I did because that was a really a good panel. Uh, that was, uh, well, the description is, where do you begin with the plot, the theme, a conflict, or all the above? So on this panel were Marv Wolfman, James Tinney IV, Mark Wade, Louise Simonson, and Elias S. Megan, moderated by Robert Greenberg. And he also moderated the one with uh, Meredith Finch I previously mentioned. So that was a great panel, and I managed to catch up with Mark. And we spoke uh, not on the convention floor because it's a little too noisy. We were actually upstairs near the check-in area, away from that over to the side. So I do have that coming up shortly for you to listen to. I did my best to tweak the audio so that you can hear us as best as possible, as clearly as possible. Okay, so after that interview, a little while later, uh, my wife and kids arrived, all in their 
Creator Talks podcast t-shirts, and I conducted the panel. And, uh, and then later on, we went out to dinner. And let me tell you, there was a Baltimore Orioles game that night. There was a con that night. And at 5 o'clock, it was really hard to find a place to eat. Um, you know, we would have liked to have gone to the Hard Rock Cafe. We've been there before. But it was packed. People were waiting. So we went to Dick's Last Resort as a last resort. Now, I had never eaten there before. And I didn't know that their claim to fame was service with sarcasm. It's all in fun. But I didn't know that. We're hot. We're tired. <laughs> the kids are starting to melt down. So it probably wasn't the best place to take the family. But I will say that my firecracker salmon was outstanding. Uh, had a little wasabi sauce on top. And it came with corn and rice. And I really liked it. So it was a very good meal. And, of course, the beer was very quenching as well. So after that, uh, wife and kids didn't stay over Saturday night. Because, you know, two kids in a hotel... You got a six-year-old and a one-year-old. They're all wound up. They're not going to sleep. So the wife and kids went home because they could rest better. I could rest better. And so I just headed back down to the uh, Pratt Street Ale House, grabbed a couple more Ironman English Ales, and then went to my room and fell asleep. The next day, I wanted to change a pace. Went to the Starbucks down the street. Well, geez, I guess everybody goes there from the con. Uh, I did see Robert Greenberg there. I did see Tom Zaylor there while I was getting my latte and said, hey. And I also saw Hope Larson there hanging outside. So we chatted for a bit before heading back to the con. So I got in, got a bunch of books in my hand at a dealer's table, and then the fire alarm goes off. Of course, we complete our transaction because I want my books because there was like Silver Surfer in there. I'm talking Silver Age classics like the Silver Surfer versus the Human Torch in the original series and also the final issue of Silver Surfer written by Stan Lee, drawn by Jack Kirby, where the Silver Surfer fights the Inhuman. So I had to leave with those, plus some other great uh, books there. I think there were, I got some Mr. Miracle there and maybe a couple of copies of The Demon. Oh, there might have been somebody else I bought a couple copies of The Demon from, but it was a big Jack Kirby weekend for me. I bought a lot of those books and a couple of copies of Iron Man from the 1970s and 80s. So the fire alarm went off. We all evacuated, went outside. People are queuing up. It's hot in the sun. Very warm weekend for September. So I said, you know what? I'm not going to stand outside in the sun. I'm going to walk down the street, sit in a coffee shop, go over my notes, and just chill, which is what I did. And then I went back. Everybody was already back inside. I just walked back in and got right back to what I was doing, shopping for books and uh, interviewing folks as well. And I also had a chance to meet at the con uh, a gentleman by the name of Steve Conley, listener of the show. Steve, hello. Thank you so much. I picked up a couple of books from his table, Blueprint of Tomorrow, one of his first works, and The Middle Age Book One, which was written and illustrated by Steve Conley, which, by the way, is an Eisner Award nominee and Ringo nominee. And so, Steve, it was a pleasure to meet you, and I look forward to reading these books as well. And so this is the day after the Ringo Awards, and I saw Dean Haspiel, who did win for Best Webcomic in 2017. And so I had a chance to congratulate him, and in the future, he will be on the show, he promises me. So uh, look forward to talking to Dean in the future. So at this point, I started making my goodbyes to everyone, making my rounds, picking up any last few books I wanted to get a hold of. And I also did see, which I neglected to mention, the fine folks at Scout Comics. They were at their table. It was wonderful to see them. Some have been on the show, and some will be on the show in the future. So uh, look forward to having more creators from Scout Comics on the show, because they are among my favorite books. Picked up a couple of copies of Mindbender, which is created and written by James Pruitt, with art by Federico De Luca. And James was on the show. And let me tell you something. Make sure you get these, because these are great books, and they sell out fast. 
they don't have a whole lot in the shops. So, I mean, you know, I know I've talked to him on the show. He's been a guest, but I really like the book. And I'm, I'm being straight with you here. Check it out. I also picked up another of the titles, which I have not read yet. Graveland. Massimo Rossi. Gabriel Abera Nunez does the art. So, this is one I look forward to reading soon. Also, I'll have uh, AC Medina on the show from Scout Comics on a future episode. So, look for that. Okay, so the last thing I did was I interviewed uh, Justin Jordan and Nikki Ryan about The Family Trade being published by Image Comics coming out October 11th. And then I bounced and headed back to Delaware to get ready for another work week. So, enough about me and my experiences. Let's get right to that interview with Mark Wade that I conducted at the Baltimore Comic Con on Saturday. We talk about Captain America and his run on Avengers and what's coming up. But he also has a very important message about diversity in comics and about tolerance, and uh, really good conversation. So let's not delay any further. Let me bring that interview now with Mark Wade at the Baltimore Comic-Con 2017. So Mark, welcome to Creator Talks. Welcome to Baltimore Comic-Con. Thank you. Great to have you back again. A couple years ago when I was here, you were the guest of honor. So now we can see how far I've fallen, because I'm not, <laughs> not the guest of honor anymore. But it's a, it's a great show. It's, it's, if you ask any pro here, they will tell you that this and the Heroes Convention in North Carolina, those are the, everybody's favorite shows to go to. I went to Heroes for the first time this year, yeah. and I loved it. It was yeah. so similar to this one, just so, in terms of the creators, the writers, the yeah. artists, very, very focused on that. Exactly. And you have coming up, you're coming back to Captain America yeah. with your artist partner, yeah. Yeah. Sonny, yeah, from Daredevil I would, and Black Widow. I would not have done it if not for Chris, because I've already had three bites of that apple. Uh-huh. And you never go back to what you did before because no matter what, people are going to compare what you did to, uh, his old stuff was better. Inevitably, yeah. So I wouldn't have done it without Chris, but when Chris said that's what I want to do, I'm, I'm on board. Um, and I'm looking forward to what we're doing. The thing I have to get out in front of soon is that we worked so far in advance. We started in like March, February, March. We were working ahead of Greensboro ahead of all the other stuff that's been going on okay. in the news. So if you're looking for Cap to punch Nazis on page one, we, we're we not there yet. He'll punch Nazis very soon, but I'm, I'm just afraid that people will pick it up going, yeah. expecting it to immediately be an answer to some of the political turmoil in our country, and they're going to pick it up. And it's, it's a nice story, but it's not there. Well, Nick Spencer had the same thing with Hydra Cap. He started yeah. this like back in 2015, just the pitch. Back when, and, and back when no one thought what? Hillary would not win. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and some of the fan reaction was like outraged about yeah. the whole the whole thing yeah. about Cap turning evil. Yeah. But it, it's comics; things turn around. Things turn around. And how do you? What, what's your opinion about that? I mean, do you think fans are maybe a little too critical and expect too much of status quo, perhaps? And at the same time, they want something different to be shaken up. So no. it's it's yeah, you have to please many masters. I think part of what's going on now is that more and more there's a, a growing number of fans who feel disrespected, mm. who feel like. Marvel and DC and the creators don't necessarily respect them because comics are changing, because comics don't look the way they did when, when they were growing up and read, when they started reading fewer white guys and starting in comics. It's more reflective of the world that you see outside your, your window. And I, I feel for them and I understand why they're upset. At the, same, at the same time, we have to keep moving with the times uh, if we want to engage newer readers of color gender fluidity or whatever um, so that's a it's, we're, we're, you ask a very prescient question because that is not the number one issue that a lot of us are dealing with like how do you serve both masters and 
I'm not sure we've cracked that. I'm not sure we've squared that circle yet. If you look back at like Dan Slott's uh, Spider-Man, Doc Ock Spider-Man, right. outrage, and then over time, mm -hmm. People think it's great now. Yeah. More people are on board. And I think it just takes time to get used to that change. Yeah, it's initial, so. any kind of change people don't like. No, absolutely. They're comfortable. Right. And now it's been disrupted. But yeah. then again, a good story should have some conflict. Well, now it's created a little conflict for you. Yeah. You got to like, deal, deal with it. And like you said, the, the, the paradox is everybody knows Captain America will be fine in a year. This is how drama works. And yet, specific example, I'm coming up on a story where I wanted to... At the, at the cliffhanger, make it look like uh, one character was dead. Of course, it's not the next, you know, next issue, all fine. The character was of color. And immediately, the bells went off my head, and even my editor said, that's fine, you do that, but just be aware that there are people out there who are going to jump on you because, ah, you killed the black guy. Right. And that's how drama works, because it's, he's going to be back, and like, but... But I, the fact that I even had to think about that is very indicative of the time we live in. And I'm, I'm not, I don't think that's a bad thing, but it is something that we need to bear in mind. Yes. Well, it happens. I've heard criticisms about that, like about Walking Dead. Yeah. It's yeah. the same thing. Oh, yeah. well, it had to be an African-American. Yeah, of course, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and yeah. I'm just looking at the story, and I'm enjoying the story. I'm not sitting there. But, I mean, there is that sensitivity. Yeah. And as two white guys, we have to, I think we have to work harder yeah. and making sure that we have empathy for this point of view. It's not doesn't automatically make everybody who is super sensitive right, but I would rather give them the benefit of the doubt because I'm also not the one who's under attack. I'm not the one who is you know, being harassed. I'm not the one who is you know, dealing with the rise of Nazism in America or white supremacy. So I give those people and their voice a lot of latitude. Even if I don't always agree with them, I think it's more important that they speak out right now. Like I'm fond of saying that White guys don't get to define what the word slave, what the word racism means anymore. You know, because we've done a really crappy job of it for the last 200 years. Maybe we should let somebody else define it. If that makes any sense. Well, we're way far afield of what you're asking. Got it. That's, a, no, that's all right. That's yeah. right. It's all tied in. Yeah. And while Cap is going to go on a bit of a, a road trip yeah. to rediscover himself and then regain the trust, regain the trust of the country yeah. and of his fellow Avengers yeah. and fellow heroes. Yeah. It's that, and that's part of what we're doing. It's not. It, in retrospect, it wasn't a, when we got there, it wasn't a huge part of what we're doing. It's not like every issue he runs into people throwing tomatoes and, you know, bricks at him. It's more smaller scale stories as he moves it. Because the, the take is basically, look, I'm a man of the people, but I spend all my time in New York. You know, it's time I started reaching out and seeing what the rest of the world is like now. What is it like in the 21st century? What is it like in 2017 to be in small town Indiana? or to be in, you know, East Jesus, Wisconsin, or whatever, and, and what are the people out there like? What are they thinking? So it's, 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 it turns out it, as, it, as the story sort of kind of wrote itself, it's less about Cap redeeming himself and more about being in touch more with the people that he ostensibly represents. I thought I read this, that you're going to try to tap into some of that, that Kirby craziness yeah. of Cap. From, yeah. I, th I think back to the Mad Bomb story. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's people, a really good example. Yeah. Thing, yeah. yeah, to do political allegory rather than straight-up political stuff, but right. make it, couch it in big... And that was Chris Omni's first request, is here's some villains I've been sketching out over the years, just as, you know, guys with robot heads and, you know, whatever, that look like Jack Kirby things. Let's do some of that, absolutely. As far as the character goes of Captain America, Steve Rogers, are there certain 
boundaries or limits you set for yourself outside of those of the editor to stay within the character, to get to the true essence of the character. Like in the panel that you just came from, you talked about, you tap, you read the original books, the older books, to try to find that essence of the character, try to keep that some way. Do you set any kind of limits, or is that limits not really the right word? Is it more like finding the right it's theory? Part of it, as I also said in the panel, I have this freakishly encyclopedic knowledge right. of all these, and I've read all these stories, so to some degree it's burned into my DNA. So I very rarely have to ask myself, what would Cap do in this situation? I just, I just know. Um, but that said, it's it's fun to put him up against situations where there is no easy answer and see what he does. You don't go to the extreme of like the end of Man of Steel, where it's like, do I take a life or not? character revel revelatory choices if it makes any sense. Do I save do I save this one guy or do I save this town? Do I have that choice or what do I do? Of course Cap always finds a different way, but still I, I bear these things in mind. I, I bear in mind that uh, that I have to keep him morally bulletproof. Ethically bulletproof. Because if you're not, that's not Captain America. One other book I want to bring up that you also are is sure. Avengers. Yeah. And I'm reading Avengers again because you're working on it. Thank you. And I, I really enjoy it. And you have, there's different Avengers that did it, but the last issue, uh, it just came out this week actually, yeah, yeah. you talked about a resolution in the conflict, even if it's between just two characters, yeah. like Spider-Man and the Wasp. Right. There was a conflict and there was some sort of resolution. Okay, resolution. You had the Vision and Hercules going yeah. off and having a discussion. You had Thor and the Falcon having a discussion yeah. about something they were each struggling with. And so there was some action in the story. There yeah. was an event that occurred. Right. But a lot of it was character development where there was a resolution yeah. of some type, which is an, a really amazing story. And even though they're not, that group of Avengers aren't the ones I remember growing up reading, it still felt like Good, the you. Avengers. Thank you. This is... One of the things that came up in the room that we didn't get a chance to address is somebody was asking, you know, when you write a, a one-issue story and the difference between writing that and a three-issue story, a four-issue story, and the answer to me is that the more intimate a story it is, the more it feels like it's a one-issue story, the more it feels like it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's, it's a conflict between two characters, or if it's even just a sort of, a, like you said, conflict resolution, it feels smaller. That's not a bad idea. There's plenty of room for small stories. There's nothing. There's nothing inherently bad about small stories. It's just as good as, as big stories. But the smaller your story is, the, the more I sort of draw in and, and make it one issue. Um, and other than that, the only problem I have writing adventures is Red Wing. I hate that bird with a white hot passion. I keep forgetting he exists. He's the Aqualad of the Avengers. He's just. I'll get to page 14 and I'll go, oh, that's right, Falcon's supposed to have red wings. So I I just, I, if you look, you'll notice he vanishes an awful lot. Yes. Final question. Sure. Uh, now, there'll be a crossover coming up next right. in the Avengers with the champions. Yeah. Uh, it's the high evolutionary is the villain. Yeah. You talked a bit about dealing with crossover, and you said there's a lot of kind of on the fly. Things yeah. happen in comics and you have to adjust. Yeah. Have you ever been pitched a crossover and say, hey, there's a crossover coming, and you're like, I don't know. I don't know if I can do that. It's not going to work within the story that I have in mind, or even the character. I mean, have you ever had to say, mm, maybe not for me, or do you find a way just to, I'll make it work? I tend to find a way to make it work. Not just because I, not just because they're the boss, right? But also, and, and it's their toys. But also, 
I like a challenge. I like a puzzle. I love okay. the puzzle aspect. And one of the things we also didn't get to talk about up there is how I structure cliffhangers. I do cliffhangers in my comics all the time. And the reality is, I have no idea how this, how to get out of this cliffhanger. Every time I write it, and I mean literally every time I write a cliffhanger, I have no idea. For the first 25 years of my, of my career, I thought that was a bug. But it turns out it's a feature. <laughs> because if I don't know, and you don't know, then you can't guess. You know, and we'll both be surprised. So that's, you know, to pursuant to your question, that's, so that said, that's the stuff I love solving. You get, um, I did a Daredevil story a while back where I really needed Storm in that story. That would be great. I needed to, I needed to create a thunderstorm. I needed to call up my editor, and Storm's off the table. She's in space right now or whatever. You can have Ant-Man. I'm like, all right, oh, great. And then I, but then I like, okay, how can I have Ant-Man create a thunderstorm? And I should be thinking about it. And that's the puzzle part that I really enjoy. So when it comes to crossovers, if you throw the challenge in my lap, I may bristle at first, but automatically my brain's working. I'm like, how do I how do I make this work? So life's all about how do we make this all work? work? And with that, I need this. I need to get back to the table. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Excellent. Thank you. I apologize for the sound quality there. That's why I prefer to do interviews in studio or over Skype because there's so much more control over background noise, better miking, etc. But it was still a really good interview, very clear, very audible, and some great conversation there and just some great insight by Mark Wade. And so now let's move on to Justin Jordan and Nikki Ryan, both authors of The Family Trade, published by Image Comics. And then uh, next week... On Monday, I will have the women creators on the Evolving Comic Book Industry panel in its entirety. So a little more about that panel, how it went, and the actual panel itself on the next show. So I hope you enjoy this interview, and I'll see you all next week. We are live. Baltimore right. Comic Con, day three. The final hours. Justin Jordan. Hello. Ryan. Hey. Hey, guys. Thanks for spending some time with Creator Talks. That's me. Yeah, thanks I, for having us. I speak of myself in the plural, which is ridiculous. It's just me. Hey, you both met at uh, Awesome Con some years ago. First mm-hmm. of all, that's an awesome name for a convention, Awesome Con. So how did this happen? Did eyes meet, or were you just like sitting around kibitzing, and you're like, you know, we think alike, or we think along the same lines? How did that meeting first take place? Mutual hate. Mutual hate? Yes. Oh. Ah, um, we're not going to say who, okay? Because I have to work in comics. Fair enough. So, uh, but there was a comic creator that we don't like, uh, and she went to said person's table, and said person was as they are, not cool. I, uh, I had mentioned that I really enjoyed what they were writing, and he looked at me and said, "I know." And <laughs> it just kind of went downhill from there. Wow. Uh, and they bumped into Justin, uh, and I was like, "Oh, Luther Strode. That doesn't suck." I enjoy your book. And uh, then we started talking. Mutual hate. Demanded friendship. Now that's... Now we're friends. Yeah, four years later, here we are. Almost four years later. So now you're both working on the family trade. We are. Image Comics. Yep. Coming on two weeks as we record this. Yep, we are right on, right on the edge of it. Very excited. And this started as an ash can, like back in 2015 when you were shopping it around, trying to find the right publisher for this book? Yeah, yeah. We started what, it actually started started as a joke between us. Uh, <laughs> Nikki will explain that. <laughs> so, uh, Justin knows my cousin, Jesse, and um, not too long ago she was traveling around Europe and uh, 
Justin had asked me how she was doing. And I said, oh, well, she's in Barcelona. And uh, he was like, why the fuck is she there? <laughs> um, and obviously the only logical explanation was, oh, my family's full of assassins. It's the family trade. We all are, da-da-da-da-da. And then it just kind of snowballed into this glorious, glorious comic. Yeah, I don't think there was any other conclusion I could make from those that her traveling around Europe. It was all very suspicious. I mean, it doesn't help that my dad, like, is, like, a big white dude who, like, has been overseas a million times, and, like, my uncle goes to China, and my aunt was in Israel, I think, at the time, so... All very suspicious. Uh, Yeah, so we did that, and then uh, we uh, talked to our friend Morgan Beam, who's done the art on it, and it's full watercolor art. I've known Morgan for five or six years now, and... uh, that's her. She went to con, so she did it. And uh, when we did spread at Image Comics, we had actually done the ash can before we got picked up there. And it seemed to, you know, people seemed to dig it and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, we did an ash can for New York Comic Con for last year. Um, and then got picked up by Image shortly thereafter. So it seems to work out. And then we'll be debuting the book at New York Comic Con this year. So. Okay. And Image is the perfect home for it. Everybody's happy with that, uh, that yeah. publisher. 100%. Works out for it. Very they all work, has Morgan worked with Image before? Uh, yes, kind of. So Morgan is also doing a graphic novel for Image while she's doing this, because she's amazing. <laughs> I feel it's some sort of witchcraft. Yeah, she's a witch. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Dark sorcery. Okay. Um, so this will, be the, this will be the first Image thing she's had that will be out. Uh, so yeah, and uh, Nikki is new to Image, so I'm, I'm the only old hand on the book. Yes, old is the appropriate title mm-hmm. for that. I am, I'm the only ancient old dude on the book, for that Your matter. blood is literally just dust. Well, obviously. What else would it be? What was it like to graduate with Mary Magdalene? You know, she was not as easy as you might have thought. That makes sense. Yeah, she got weird later in life, but early days. Yeah. Yeah. The whole water into wine thing? Yeah, okay. There's a book there. No, there probably like is. Right? That's exactly <laughs> it. Oh, like, oh, there's our next comic book. Why don't you have the one about Cupid? Like, yeah. Jokes? No, I've got like three comics that are like started as jokes. I've also got the, the my my next image book after Family Trade. It's a book called Death of Love. That's about a guy who goes to war against Cupids, uh, and it started out as a joke. And then I'm I'm working on a book called Hair of the Dog. It's about an alcoholic werewolf, uh, and that. As you can clearly tell, started out as a joke. So the moral of the story is, I should not make jokes because they just become work. <laughs> now this book coming up, yes. Family Trade, is an ocean punk as opposed to steampunk. Or it is. As it's a, it's a turn on steampunk. It is. I did not make up ocean punk. Okay. Uh, Morgan famously thought that I just made ocean punk up, which no, it's a pre-existing term. Wait, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. There you go. Morgan and Nikki thought I just made up Ocean Punk. I thought that was thing. I didn't know that was Sorry, I'm, I'm not actually that cool. What is it, like Waterworld? Is it like Ocean Punk? Kinda. Or like that weird little like uh, radio station that they have on the oil tank thing? Very much so. Like, Ocean Punk is a real thing, and there's not much there's not much movie examples of it. Like, Pirates of the Caribbean is probably technically Ocean Punk, just because it takes place. And they've got things like... The things where all the pirates go, and they have meetings of ships, and so it's that kind of like ship-based, like cyberpunkish attitude kind of thing that goes on things. Yeah. So it's like steampunk, but with boats. Okay. Hmm. And one of the characters in the first arc, Jessa, she's based on the 
cousin in some way? Yes. Yeah, Have same cousin. She saved someone on the subway? Yeah, that and, happened. Now, from what? Like, what happened? Uh, there was, like, a fight or something along those lines, and there was a kid, and she, like, stepped in and, like, saved the kid, and there was a whole, like, article in Elle magazine, and there was, like, a news story in New York on it. Jeez. It's fucking crazy. So that bravery is will be in the character in the book. What uh, aspects of your cousin? Oh, it already is. It's, it's just the person she is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this this all happened after we made her the main character. Yeah. Okay. It was oh. just proving that we were right. Oh, yeah. all right. Yeah. Living up to it. Yep. Yeah. All right. She's a badass. Yep. Yeah, she is. She's awesome. Yeah, and so it, it worked out really well. Uh, yeah, and that is kind of the, the defining trait for me for Jessa, the character in the book, is that she just goes headlong into doing the right thing without any hesitation. Uh, sometimes she probably should hesitate slightly, but yep. she just kind of dives in. Um, so it's a very it's a very action-y kind of like Indiana Jones kind of thing where you know, skinnier teeth, thinking your way out of situations, things just go from bad to worse, like action keeps moving. That's all right. And she's rather feline, cat-like. Is that right? No, there are actual cats in the book. Oh. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, she probably is kind of feline. But yeah, the cats talk. They, they talk in cat. But I feel like cats are a little more graceful than Jessa. That's probably fair. Jessa, Jessa's probably pretty... Uh, she's all legs. Yeah, she's not exactly clumsy, but she sort of crashes through things rather than uh, gracefully getting through things. You know... If you remember Casino Royale where James Bond is chasing the parkour guy and parkour guy's being all agile and Bond oh, yeah, is just crashing like... through stuff, that would be more just a speed. Yeah. That's about right. Like, you can even see that in, like, the, uh, in the ash can where she goes out the window. Yeah, she's a very skin in her teeth. Like, she's capable, but she gets in over her head pretty easily, so. Okay. Things snowball quickly. Yeah, it's fun. It's a really fun book. I mean, I enjoy it. I'm hoping readers do. I, it's been really fun to write, so it's been good. So it's about this city, the float. Yes. Mm-hmm. And Jessa is helping to protect society behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. It is, she it is. is. The clan is who is in charge, yeah. kind of maintaining the city, but they are the ones in the background. Yeah, the family, family. The family is the, the the ones that are like the ones who work in the shadows to make sure that no one rises too high or falls too low check and balance yeah so like if somebody particularly insane looked like they were going to take over uh the float the family would like make sure that doesn't happen they would either find some dirt on them or steal something from them or if need be you know make them have an accident so that right. kind of stuff so uh, no one knows who's responsible for that accident but they just make oh, sure it's it, right it's taking right it's taking care yeah of an accident. yeah nobody oh, okay. nobody knows obvious nobody knows the family exists only the family knows the family is there the like, clans do not know the family is there like there's like a there's like rumors every now and then of like oh maybe there's a secret underground but like there's nothing substantial okay like you'll see graffiti around sometimes like that's like involved with the family but like it's just more of like the same reason why people like get a jolly roger flag it's cool and you're going to learn like what family is all about this is just not blood relatives per se it's what family is about relationships and and yeah yep it's a it's a very very major theme of it is what what kind of loyalty does she owe people that are family uh, comes up in the arc, you know, that kind of thing, and what it means to be family and what those relationships are in those ties. So, yeah, we've got a pretty strong theme about that, and that will actually continue to be a theme, actually, as the thing goes on, because she gets various iterations of, like, what she thought was happening and what's actually happening and who she can trust and who she should be putting her faith in and that kind of stuff. Now, you have a grand design for it. I mean, you'd like to see it go as far as 30 issues, but you're taking it an arc at a time. Yeah focusing on different characters in each arc. Yeah. I mean, Jessa will always be the main character, but the background characters and the people she's meeting are different in each one. Yeah, we've kind of designed it so that 
I mean, it'll be better if you read them all in order, but, like, you should be able to pick up any given story, like, as if you were coming into a novel series, you know, and you pick up, like, the latest, like, I don't know, Spencer novel, right? It's like Richard Parker's thing. Like, you can read it, and it's, uh, Robert Parker. You can read it, and it's fine. If you've read them all, there's more depth. Yeah. But any individual one is perfectly readable on its own. Yeah, so we're trying to do it that way. That also has the, strictly from a pragmatic standpoint, comics are comics. So if we end up having to cancel at issue 10, we're not like, well, here's a third of a story. Good luck, kids. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's smart to build yeah. it in that way. Because you never know what's going to happen. You want to be able to wrap it. Yeah, I got burned on a book I did, and we got like five issues in, and it's not anywhere near being a complete story, and it just didn't sell. So I'm like, we're not doing that again. So this one has to sell. It you does. You want this one to sell. I do. You want them all to sell, but... I know, mean, it's the first comic. I would really nice. like for it to be successful. Yeah. I'm just I'm just throwing that out. It turns out Nikki likes that food and chowder, so... <laughs> Love food so much. And my cats need to be fed. That's true. Cats need to be fed, so y'all need to read assholes, it. They're but they're my assholes. It's true. Are you both cat lovers? Oh, yes. Well, what is it about cats you like so much? I have always owned dogs. My wife owned a cat, so by de facto... I like cats too, but she was a good cat. We have what, similar what? personalities. Okay. You know, low maintenance. We're like super nice sometimes, but I'm like, I don't want to talk to you. I'm just going to go just curl up away. under the bed and yeah. ignore you for a few weeks. You. Yeah, I was actually I was actually having that conversation earlier today with a friend of mine. And thing, I, think, I think the thing about cats for cat lovers is that cats are mercurial and hard to read and they make you work for it. They will love you very much, but like... I love dogs. I do. I'm an animal guy, and I love dogs. But dogs are your buddies. We engineered dogs for 20,000 years to be awesome. I like dogs. And they are. They are your friends. Cats, on the other hand, are, like, doing their own thing. So it's it's a different sort of relationship than you have with dogs. And I really like and it. And they purr. And they little beans, and they make, they make biscuits. And they just sit there and make biscuits, and they purr on you. And it's, like, the most satisfying. It's like being in the womb. So cats are pretty rad. I don't care if it's a cat or a dog. Oh, they all do the same thing, though. If it's time for bed, they will stare at you. At that, they have this internal clock, just like we do. They know when it's time, even though they can't tell time. And then if you don't go, well, they just leave. Yeah. I'll see you up there. It doesn't matter yeah. if the dog or cat. My cats don't do that. No? Do they just wait for you? Yeah. Yeah, and then um, and then one tries to smother me uh, I mean, in my sleep, because sometimes she'll like lay on my chest and like, kind of like a scarf, because she doesn't like curl up in a ball or anything. She just like lounges laying out on her back over my throat because that's sometimes she'll roll onto my face and I can't breathe and sometimes she puts a pillow over her face and Slowly says and just shh, shh, shh. I, I thought it was a prince. symbiotic relationship first but now I don't know no. <laughs> no I'm pretty sure that like at least one of my cats is trying to kill me uh, no doubt it yeah that sounds about right yeah trout trout's a little dick she's coming for me stares no. alone like <laughs> nope I know that if one of us died, that the cat would just eat us. Wouldn't think twice about. Yeah, okay. No oh, yeah. I'll just go ahead and tell oh, yeah. myself. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, yeah. It's I was comforting. like, and as well she should. I feel like Zoe would eat my fingers first, but Trout would eat my face. Yeah. yeah. She'd be like, he'd want it this way. <laughs> Frankly, I think Trout would not necessarily wait for you to be dead. If no. you, if you just had a long, long day. In I mean, bed. actually, she got me. She got me pretty good the other day. Oh, there it is. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Hey, let me get back to it for a second. Sure, sure. All the arts, like you said, watercolor. Yep. You don't see that too often. No, no. It's a very distinct-looking book. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's yeah. so pretty. She's, like, amazing. Like, the contrast that she uses in her um, in some of the panels and stuff, like, it's 
so good and there's still so much detail. It's not like washed out or anything. It's so good. She's amazing. And she's surprisingly fast, too. Like, you look at it, and it looks like it should be a really time-consuming kind of way to do art, but yeah. she's one of the faster artists that I work with, so, yeah, it's pretty remarkable. Most artists tell me it takes about four, six weeks to do one issue. Has she said about how long the lead time she needs to do an issue? Uh, she can for sure do an issue in, like, three weeks. I don't think oh. she likes to, wow. but she's certainly capable of it. She's not sleeping much. No. <laughs> No, but like I said, she's been doing this and the graphic novel at the same time, and she's been cranking along at a fairly steady pace, so. Well, it's because I've been, like, whipping her. Oh, that's right. And sending her messages of, get back to work, art slave. How dare you work on other projects? I mean, good for you, but do my thing first. And then she's like, oh, I need to sleep. Like, no, you can no. sleep when you're done. We just start putting caffeine pills in her coffee. Which is a feat, because she lives in Denver. It's true. So that book's coming out in a couple weeks. Yep, October 11th. You've got that, and it's going to stand out because it's watercolor, and of course the subject matter too is not something you see every day, every week on the bookshelves. Now, beyond that, you have a book coming out being published by Aftershock. I do. Tell me a bit about that. That's, uh, uh, yeah, I've got The Backways coming out from yeah. Aftershock. Yeah. And, uh, which Nikki does not care about at all since she's not involved in writing it. Just play along. But uh, it's basically, so the premise of the Backways is that there is a hidden world that exists around us all the time. Um, they've basically taken our attics, our spaces under the stairs, our abandoned hospitals, and linked them all together through magic. So they're all around us all the time, and we never see them and know they're there. Uh, and my main character, Anna's friend, gets taken into the Backways, and Anna has to go in and find her. So it's very much kind of a, uh, a love letter to, like, Labyrinth and that kind of stuff, Return to Oz, those sorts of stories. Uh, Right? So good. Uh, it's a very, very weird universe. Uh, I've got uh, Eleonora Carlini is on art, mm -hmm. uh, and the stuff she's turned in is amazing. Uh, way cooler than I uh, than what I had written. So it's, again, makes me look very good. Uh, I think the trick to being a good comic book writer is choosing good artists. See, Morgan, Morgan definitely makes everything we do way better than it actually was in my brain. Or I don't know about you, but like everything, everything that she comes up with is just so much cooler than I could have come up with. That's like the even the boats that she made. Yeah. She's very, very good. Yeah, and that's why I, what I'm looking for in artists generally. Now, what else are you working on? It doesn't have to be a book, but besides doing the comic. Uh, right now, I've been working on a whole bunch of pitches that are I need to uh, actually sit down and work on. Okay, so these are not disclosed yet. These are secret. We're going to find out, hopefully. Like, if it actually comes works. to fruition. Like, there's another book I want to work with on Justin, with Justin on, like, witches and stuff. Okay. Um, and then some horror things, because I love horror. About it. How many pictures are you working on right now? Because I know some writers have several ones. Well, there's a couple different right stories that I've got, but nothing that I've actually finished. So when I can finish it, then it, uh, then we'll see. Okay. So in other words, nothing really. So possibly witches. The Stone Garden Stone thing. Gardens, yeah. yeah, that's gonna be fun. It's good. It's good. I'm excited about it. So hopefully it'll be. Finished. We are doing that, right? I intend to. Okay, good. So there's that, that thing. I was see, not prepared for this it, question. It, Family trade takes off, and it'll be from the team that brought you family trade. Oh, yeah, we can do that. Oh, yeah, we can make. Yeah, we can do that. We can do that. Yeah. It's gonna be awkward now and hand this back to Justin. <laughs> you awkward? I don't like this question. Sounds weird. It makes me feel like I haven't done anything lately because I haven't. This is like your first comic. Doesn't so. say you're starting out. Don't worry about it. Got nothing going on right now. It's all good. Family trade. Woo! I watch a lot of Netflix. I love Netflix <laughs> in my underwear. Eat well. bowls of cereal off my tummy. That sounds right. She did that this weekend. <laughs> totally she just carried around milk and cereal with her all weekend. It was weird. 
It was delicious. I mean, it was awesome. Thank you. Also, after this, I'm gonna run up to the store and grab more cereal. I'll bring you. I'll bring you Diet Dr Pepper from okay. the room. Okay. That's where my milk is. Okay. Justin, Nikki, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having us. Talks, taking some time out of the con. Just a, about an hour and a half left, so I'll let you get to it. All right, thank you. Best of luck to you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Creator Talks. The podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, and YouTube. If you like what you hear, please rate and review on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't miss a single episode each Thursday. Subscribe. It's free. A new interview will be available each week, and sometimes there'll be a second, maybe even a third interview that week. You can send me feedback and comment on social media. I can be reached at Creator Talks Pod. That's at Creator Talks Pod on Facebook and Twitter. I'm also available on Instagram, Creator Talks Pod. There I will post pictures while I'm on location, as well as my Saturday Silver Age or Older and Sunday Bronze Age Spotlight comics from my personal collection. Don't forget to visit my website, creatortalks.com. There I have listed the latest episode on the homepage, plus a playlist of all the episodes to date that you can listen to online or download. In addition, on the site, I'll be posting my recommended reading picks as well as written interviews with creators. Also on my YouTube channel are video interviews with creators on location at comic conventions and elsewhere. I know you have a lot of entertainment to choose from and a lot of podcasts to choose from as well. And I thank you for making the time to listen to this one, your best source for comic book writers, artists, and creators. There are more interviews in the works, and you never know who it might be. It is my distinct honor and privilege to speak to these creators and bring you those interviews each week. I'd like to thank my executive co-producer, who makes this possible, Mrs. Calloway. That's all for now. For Creator Talks, I'm Christopher Calloway. Until next time.